0: I don't think that the philosophy of wind rock should be applied to every network of trails. Like I, I think the opposite of that, you know, like, but I think we need more wind out there because to me, the sport could not evolve without very elite level downhill racing technology, technology with suspension and linkages and anything to do with anything to do with the bikes it's getting driven from downhill racers.
1: Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. We are back with another quick hitting Thursday bonus episode. This time it's a throwback Thursday show as we're digging into the archives and releasing a clip from one of my favorite interviews ever and one of my most memorable days on a bike period. This episode is also fitting as it comes out just before the snowshoe West Virginia World Cup race this weekend, which I recommend everyone tune into on Red Bull TV. This episode was recorded on October 12th 2021 after spending the day riding with Sean Leader at Windrock Bike Park, the premier downhill training and racing venue in the United States. In this clip, you're about to hear Sean talk about the evolution of Windrock Bike Park, tracks versus trails, and keeping downhill racing alive in the United States, which if you've been paying attention to the World Cup this year, the United States has been doing considerably better than in 2021. As the intense team has been fighting their way into the top 10, Nico has been getting his framework bikes into the finals, and every other U.S. rider has been placing considerably better in 2022. If you want to listen to the full Sean Leader interview, check out episode 43 on Trail Effect. The value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to a Throwback Thursday clip with Sean Leader and Windrock Bike Park.
2: Yeah, so let's talk about the evolution. You know, you kind of get into how you and Nico got this uh, loose business plan together. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were out there riding today and talking about how it went from, you know, how, how, how it's exceeded our expectations. Totally. So let's talk about that evolution of what the original business plan, like how it's kind of scaled to where it is now.
0: Yeah. Actually
2: back up. Let's talk about what, what, who, what Windrock is for and who it's not for. And then we'll go back into the business plan.
0: Yeah. That's a good, that's a good thing to get into. Right. Because the thing is, is Windrock's not for everybody. It's it's absolutely not, and um, it's not right now. It's not really trying to be for everybody, you know. Fortunately, we we're blessed with like an abundance of trail centers right now. There's so many trails out there and so many places to ride, and there's amazing city parks. And we have, I mean, Knoxville is just littered with all these amazing entry level trails, and most communities now have that. So, you know looking at it in that scope, you can, you can start to say, well, you can build parks that maybe aren't for everybody. Like this park is for a smaller group of people, but there's, there are a group of people that, that still need a spot to ride. So I think that the really advanced end of mountain biking, like when, when it's no longer doing it for you to ride, like the really easy trails is not, not cutting it for you. Windrock's the spot for you where it's it is gnarly no matter what level of rider you are, there's stuff there that's going to challenge you so from the beginning we really felt like we didn't need to we didn't need to um, appeal to every single rider we just needed to appeal to the riders that we knew were out there that didn't have a spot to ride and there's a lot of them and and you could run a sustainable business off of a smaller group of people that isn't You know isn't got a spot to ride that's doing it for him so from day one when we looked at we when we looked at starting windrock we knew that we didn't really want it to change very much we're basically commandeering a set of trails that have been free up to this point you know or they started having a a small fee to ride there so for us we already knew that we're basically acquiring a group of people's trails that have come and gone, you know, they've moved on, but at the same time, like we weren't planning on building brand new fresh trails. And so we also weren't going to destroy what was there because what was there was phenomenal for, for training grounds for like downhill kids. So our business model was like pretty rough, like sketch it out on some pieces of paper. I mean, I think between Nico and I, we're not exactly like scholarly people, you know, and, uh, but we've, we felt like the numbers were there that we could put on these events and, and the numbers would grow with the sport. We felt like it would come back around and there would be like a solid increase in numbers. So when we got started, it was all hand-built trails, but one, we built one machine built trail to try and like make something that was like a little bit easier than the downhill tracks. Cause like the downhill tracks that were there, even when we restored them, like we spent weeks and weeks, like restoring old trails that were like, we were just searching through the woods, just like uncovering gems, like underneath leaves. And that went on for like two years where we were still finding stuff that like had been built at some point and was gone. So we really did a lot of restoration those first years but our plan was really just to cater to the race scene, like just to the downhill race scene and put on events that were just for downhill racers so that they could, um, have a place to practice before going to the world cups. And, uh, it worked out honestly, like I, I didn't expect it to wor- to work out quite how it did. Like when I went into it, it was, I had 10 other projects going on at the same time. I was pursuing 10 other avenues of income and it stayed like that kind of for the first couple of years like i feel like it was um i was putting a lot into it but i was at the same time like making sure that i was staying balanced with everything else so that you know if it didn't work out i had other options and as the years have gone on it's been the commitment has gotten deeper and deeper and deeper where it's like we're we're in so deep now, like it's all I all I think about, all I work on now. But it's panned out. I mean, it went from when we had our first race there six years ago. Nico had started up this series called Downhill Southeast, and he asked me to come help prep some of the tracks for him. And when we did the Winrock one, he asked me to prep the track and tape it. And, and we had I want to say like 40, 40 riders show up for our first race. And this past year at the Tennessee National, we had seven hundred and fifty riders. So in six years we went from forty to seven fifty. And I mean, I absolutely didn't see that happening. I I never would have dreamed of it.
2: Well but, you went from operating on just weekends only.
0: Yeah. To now you're seven days a week. Yeah, we're seven days a week now. Yeah, it was it was only Saturday, Sunday. When we started the park, like we didn't we didn't even know where to begin to try and go get a loan. So we weren't even considering like loaning money to do any of this. Like I think we each, we sold like all of our race bikes from the year. I sold my sprinter, basically just sold anything that we had that was of any value. We sold it off and we bought like a really turd of an excavator and, uh, we were renting some equipment and we were just going at it with like so little budget. We bought two school buses, like old school buses that were from the, the rafting companies around here. One was from the rafting company and one was from the high school I went to. And we gutted the seats out of them, like in my backyard, like it was just full, you know, make it happen type of situation. But the ball got rolling pretty quick. Like the buses were the bus by the time we realized the buses were a terrible idea. We had already started to grow some numbers where we we're like, okay, let's buy a truck and build a trailer. So we bought a, bought a truck and I custom built the trailer and the, and the seats on it at my dad's place. The ball started rolling pretty quick, pretty quick, honestly. By, by like year three, it was starting to get to the point where I was like, all right, I, I think I can be fully committed on this. But it was organic. As it gets at the beginning, like it was just like two young kids who had no clue what they were doing and just like figured if we put in a hundred percent, we would get something out.
2: Yeah. yeah, for sure. And we went, you know, I was there today and it was, it was pretty raw. It was wet. Yeah. I was living in, in a cloud. Yeah. I brought the wrong bike, but it's the only bike I have. And Sean quickly put me on a downhill bike. So thank you.
0: Yeah. I, I let you, which I've heard it a dozen times If you said, <laughs> I'm comfortable on this bike. I'm going to stay on this bike. And I said, all right, I'll let you ride one lap. And, uh, and then, I was, when, I think when I asked you, if you wanted to ride a downhill bike, you were ready for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's trail bikes, big, long travel trail bikes are fun. Like you can, you can ride a long travel trail bike there and have a, and have a great time. But there's no doubt that it's built for downhill bikes. And we're keeping that downhill bike community alive. I mean, I, I just, the, the, the numbers are there. I mean, there's a, there's tangible evidence that like downhill bikes are getting sold in America because of what we've got going on. Like we're keeping that going. And, uh, I mean that the numbers are there to show it for sure. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's working out. I feel like downhill downhill was dying. Like, it was on its way out, at least in the US. I mean, I think it was going stronger than ever in France and Italy, like when we were getting started. I think France and Italy were were going strong. New Zealand was still going strong. Like the rest of the world was not letting go of downhill, but the US was undoubtedly letting go of downhill.
2: And some of it is where do you do it? Right. If you can't if you have nowhere to do it, yeah. of course you're not gonna do it.
0: And even the spots in the US, like I think that's the biggest thing that I appreciate about all my time getting to travel and seeing these parks is that when I came to the U S when I went to the U S races that were in the bike parks, winter park and Keystone and the handful of Colorado parks and, and California parks that are out there. No, no slam on them. I, I'm a, I think it's really cool what they're doing, but like that is not the sport of downhill. Like, that's not going to sell downhill bikes, really. You can go ride any of those bike parks on trail bikes and probably have a better time because the way they lay it out, you're like, you're having to pedal around and go from this spot to that spot. Like, so the downhill that was left in the United States was not downhill. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't what I was seeing in France and Italy. Sure, wasn't what was happening at the Indoor World Series tracks, wasn't what was going on at World Cups. Like, so the venues were gone. I mean, they were gone. And, uh, yeah, I feel like the sport was two years away from disappearing, honestly.
2: Well, and we, you know, at numerous times throughout the day when we were riding, we'd pull over and you'd talk about, you know, something going on at this trail or that trail that we weren't obviously going to ride today. Yeah. But like, like horse face. Yeah. And I asked you, I'm like, what inspired you to do this? Yeah. And I think you said something about, you know, stuff you'd seen in France.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Let's talk about horse face.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I guess when horseface kicked off, like me and D- Dakota was living in my yard and, uh, and we were spending a ton of time together and Nico was coming over and staying like every, we had a cool scene going on at my house. Like there was a, there was like a crew of dudes here all winter And, uh, we were building a lot of new trail at that point, but I think we had all like got home from maybe it was the end of a world cup season. And I think they had just finished at, uh, Andorra or something. And they were all fired up about steep tracks. And, uh, we set out to just like rake and ride, like the steepest track we could possibly find. And, uh, and just cut in like a couple of little catches where it was like life threatening. You needed the support. Uh in the first iteration of it, me, Dakota, and Nico cut it in in like three days, maybe, with like very little effort. Basically just like a leaf blower and like, you know, some loppers. And uh and we started lapping it and got it going pretty good. But yeah, it's like it, it's ridiculously steep and it's it's basically un it's unmaintainable other than like we'll till it up and get it going for like a few weeks and ride it for a few weeks when it's like good. And when it's good, it's, it's pretty rowdy. It's so, so, so steep. Like you can't understand until you stand at the top of it. Like I took you to the top of it to look down it. Like you can, you can see down the trail so far cause it's so steep. But I mean, that style of trail is not, was not happening anywhere around here. And we were all like fired up about it. I think basically, cause they were getting their they were getting their doors blown off. Like, at these races like Andorra, like they were showing up to Andorra and being way over their head as far as like being able to to ride at that grade. So yeah, that was that was a cool project. It was it was fun. Yeah.
2: It's it's big. Let's talk about you and I were talking today when we're on the shuttle. Let's talk about tracks versus trails.
0: Yeah. This is something that I preach a lot about because um, it's it's like a fundamental Fundamental understanding of like the difference between what we do at Winrock and what's going on in all the city trails, and I it's a it's something that I'm glad to voice on your show because you know a lot of your guests and a lot of your a lot of your podcasts are really geared towards working with public land, building trails that are through foundations and advocacy groups, and um, I feel like we get some backlash from that community. It's hard for that community to understand what we have going on and to dismiss, to dismiss us before they really like dive into it. So to me, I think what I've been preaching a lot lately is this fundamental difference between tracks and trails and they the difference between them is what really, um, is what really like you, you have to, you have to look at this in, in this light where a track is something that is constantly changing, constantly getting maintained. It's, um, it's wide, you know, it's, it's used for the purpose of downhill and it follows a lot of the mentality of motocross track where you go, you go to ride a track knowing that it's ready to go. You can, you can walk it, make sure it's good. And then you can send like fully on it. There's a lot of line choice, you know, there might be five or six different lines through one section. It might be 15 feet, 20 feet wide, but it's just a different mentality of mountain biking. Like it's, it's a different sport really, you know? So if you go into a lot of Windrock things, thinking that you're getting a trail experience, which to me, a trail experience is something that's, it's more about like having like a exercise doing exercise in nature, right? To me, like trails are like something that you you're there because you want to experience nature. You want to, you want to relax your head and get this, you know, endurance, endurance ride in. So they're two very different things. I think Winrock we focus on tracks, like we build tracks and we, we do build some trails. Like when we Build tracks, uh, for a world series, like a lot of that stuff, I'd consider those more like trails where they're a little bit narrower. They're hand cut, single track bench benched in, but 90% of our stuff there it's tracks and you can count on them being prepped. I mean, they're constantly changing. They're ever growing. Like we call our trails, like the trails that we do have signs on the names of them, like, you know, you have trail one. Well, trail one's moved 10 times. Like we might move it a hundred feet to the right one year, a hundred feet to the left. Like we'll call it the same name, but you can pretty well guarantee that if you were here, if you haven't been here in six months, you best believe that almost every trail is going to look drastically different. Um, Cause we're constantly, constantly modifying them and changing them, tilling them up, pushing them above a tree, below a tree um, just so that we can you know we can go out and have a different workout every time like like to us when we go out and train like we want to have a spot that we can have kind of a similar track but slightly different for every day that we ride and normally like when we ride days that i ride we'll go out and uh we'll ride one we'll ride one track all day um we'll pick the track at the start of the day and we'll run the same track all day so we might run 10 12 laps on just one track all day. It's it's more a matter of like dialing it in and getting the speed like faster and faster and faster and working on, you know, whatever your whatever your slow spot is on a track, like trying to fix those parts in your riding. So yeah, I think to me like if you can't get past the difference between tracks and trails, you have a hard time like really understanding what windrock is and what we're trying to do. And I don't think that the philosophy of wind should be applied to every network of trails. Like I, I think the opposite of that, you know, like, but I think we need more wind out there because to me, the sport could not evolve without very elite level, downhill racing technology, technology with suspension and linkages and anything to do with anything to do with the bikes it's getting driven from downhill racers. They're, they're really pushing this equipment to its max and then that's trickling down into all the other disciplines and then eventually reaching the consumer. So I think without, without continuing to pursue like the highest level of elite racing, we're, we're going to sacrifice innovation. So to me, racing is still very important and like I think there's obviously so many other important things in the industry, they all have to work together, but downhill racing, it can't go away because to me, it's what's really driving quality innovation. That's trickling down to every other discipline. So it's important that we keep it alive. And
2: well, every bike is longer Lawrence locker, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like an XC bike bike right now, even what they're racing XC world cup, it's like, it's trickled down for sure the dampers in the forks are like so much better. And that technology is coming from race proven equipment on the world cup tracks. And the U S is struggling. I mean, you look at the, you look at the overall results and it's just predominantly French, uh, French kids, really Italian kids. And I mean, the UK has a UK has a strong scene and then New Zealand has a handful of athletes, but U S downhill is, is really suffering and that's not a great thing seen as like a lot of the industry comes out of the U S. So yeah, I feel like we can't let it go. We got to keep it going.
2: Well, one of the things you touched on that I never even thought about until we're having this conversation now is that if you're cha- if you're constantly changing the way the tracks are at Windrock, that's really good for the consumer too, because it doesn't ever get old.
0: Yeah. It's always a new experience. Yeah. And the more you get to know, like, the more you get to know Windrock, it's really laid out. Like, um, like if you're into like BMX trails or something and you go ride a good dirt jump spot and you start to like unlock all these transfer lines and like, you know, one set of jumps becomes 20 different lines at a good set of trails. And this style of downhill park is kind of the same thing. Like the more you get to know the park. Yeah. We have six trails that have signs on them. Like there's six trails that are named or maybe eight trails. I don't know, but then you start to like look around in the forest and there's lines going through everywhere that are linking different sections of trail up. And like, you'll get on the chairlift. If you're new to Windrock and you get on the chair and there's like a 12 year old kid that's like, oh, we're going to go cave boy to caveman transfer over to Talladega down old school. And then we'll finish with, uh, the Red Bull ravine. Like there's this whole language that happens on the chair now of like, what What lines people are linking up because they'll do six trails to get to the bottom, and they'll link them up in all these different ways. So if you're new to the park and you get on the chair and you hear like a little kid just like ranting this line that he's going to go down, like it's probably pretty overwhelming and and like a little bit uh daunting, but the more you get to know the park, like you start to like understand that language and you know what people are talking about, and uh, you know your six trails now become thirty trails and, every time you go there, you've got something else that you can work on. And, you know, you might want a day where you want a slightly longer track. That's a little bit less compressions and more corners, or you might want a track that's faster with heavier compressions. So you can really like suit your day based on like what you're, what you're after.
2: On the first run we took, how many, how many trails or how many tracks do we link up?
0: We linked up, uh, four, four different trails we linked up for a pretty long we made like kind of one of the longer laps you can get out of the mid-mountain drop in so, mid-mountain
2: you only operate during the week and then you go top. yeah the weekends
0: yeah so yeah monday to thursday we do um we just run the mid-mountain and we have like a green trail zone that we stop at too so we, we have three stops we'll run the bottom two stops during the week and then friday saturday sunday we'll run the we'll run the highest drop off if the weather's cooperating like in the real heavy like mud season it can be a little bit dangerous because the first two drops are accessed by a paved it's paved all the way up paved road so it's like the perfect shuttle time it takes um takes about eight minutes to get to the top and and three minutes to get down so it's like a pretty good ratio But then on the weekends, we'll run up to the windmill and you kind of get like a little bit more of like a backcountry experience. You can run some of the Enduro World Series style tracks that we've got. And that, that adds like an additional thousand feet. Yeah. It's like an extra thousand feet to the top. Those are long runs. Like they're long. Like if you're not, if you're stopping and going and stopping and going, it's 15, 15, 20 minutes just to get down.
2: Yeah. So it's legit downhill stuff. I mean, like you'd find in the mountains. Like, yeah. and I mean, when I say mountains, we're in mountains, but I'm talking like the Rockies.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. where
2: where your base elevation is yeah. a lot higher.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the vert the vert here is is greater than a lot of chairlift access parks. Like a chairlift access park, they can only build unless they're building a gondola. Like any kind of like four person quad. Like the cable is typically only going a thousand foot, just because of the logistics of chairlifts. Like you're not getting a ton of vert on a four person quad with, with the gondola you'll find places like maybe like Mount St. Anne where they just go and go and go and go where they're a couple thousand foot of vert access. But yeah, no, it's, as far as downhill park goes, it's pretty on par with anything else that's out there. Um, You're getting a pretty similar amount of vert. It's all that you really want. Like realistically, like your hands and like arms can only take, you know, so much of a beating. So I feel like having the majority of your downhill tracks being in that three minute zone and then the majority of your enduro tracks being in like the seven, eight minute zone, like that's pretty much the ideal situation. Um, it does, you know, that's realistic with what is going on in racing right now. So, you know, it's everything you could possibly want really.
1: Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you want to listen to the full Sean Leader interview, check out episode 43 on Trail Effect. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.